Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. Did you guys, last Sunday, last Sunday night, it's been almost a week now, did you watch the Oscars? Anyone? Okay. Even if you didn't, I'm sure you saw some clips, right? So I think I felt personally invested because we were, we were on that street that morning. I'm humble brag here. We were on vacation, guys, last week. Our whole family's in LA, and you can pop the slides going for us. Guys, we'll see. Eventually, you might see a photo behind me or two. So we went on vacation, and part of it was sightseeing around L.A., and part of it was just sitting on a beach. Some of it was visiting colleges because my daughter's trying to run away from us to California. That's the side story. So we have had this plan out, you know, for like months. And Steve's like, do you know we're going to Hollywood? Like, we were planning to do it Sunday morning. He's like, do you realize the Oscars are that night? And I'm like, what? Like, I always think of them as being in February, totally forgot, didn't pay attention, haven't watched half of the movies that were nominated. I just didn't pay attention. And I was like, really? So we're like looking. I start to Google like road closures, what's going to be open. And he's like, I think we can still walk down there that morning if we go early. So we're still on East Coast time. Wake up. We watched part of the live stream with you guys last week. And then we head out. And I was like, okay, I've loved movies since I was a kid. A little obsessed. May have tried to be in the background of some movies. That's another story. But I was like, you know, we're going to walk along Hollywood Boulevard. I'll see some stars. Not going to be a big deal. I couldn't stop. <laughs> it's like, um, well, this, oh, there's that person and that person. And the, this person stepped right here. And I was like, why? This is not a big deal. It's like stars on the ground and like not a big deal. And my family humored me while I kept going, hold on, guys. Hold on. Well, wait, wait, I'll catch up. Just go ahead. Go ahead. So you can see some of the ones I chose to take photos with and choose your own uh, adventure there. So the streets were blocked off. There was sidewalks open. And, but then we started to get closer and there was like the little chain link fence as we got closer and closer. And then we made it and we got to the end and we saw them literally rolling out the red carpet. I just thought that was so cool, guys. <laughs> I'm a little weird, I know. A little starstruck. I'm sorry. But it was just like, since I was a kid, it's like, I'd love to see how movies are made. And I'm like, all the people who made those movies are going to be like, like right there, right, right, right there. So we walk around the back. We watch the media come in. Like, like it's nine in the morning and people doing the interviews have to already be fully dressed, hair done to go do the interviews. I was like, that's a long day of looking nice. I couldn't pull it off. So then finally we get around front and Steve was like really kind of sad that it was blocked off again, but I was like, I will find a way. So I walk, I follow a guy who like finds a space in the fence and we're peeking through, we're sticking cameras through. It was a funny thing. So as you can see, like the one lady, she's taking a cigarette break before she has to do her interviews. You can see all the cameras, but that's the little curtains of beads and where they all take the photos right there. So I was very, very excited such a celebration. There's just like a big atmosphere of fun going on. It's probably the best time to see that area of town. And yeah, just like a night of celebration until a joke 
a slap. There was words bleeped out. I thought it was fake at first, and I debated with Steve, and we had to Google and figure it out. And then we saw, like, the full footage, and we're like, oh, that was not a joke. There was shocked people in the audience and there, and things just, it felt weird from that point on. It was like, people online were taking sides, and it's like, no, nobody's winning here. Chris Rock's joke, not appropriate. The reaction by Will Smith, not appropriate. Like, no one was appropriate this night. And the biggest inappropriateness was that Questlove won his first Oscar, guys. Questlove. And the moment was taken away. Like, his celebration was stunted by, like, this, this, this accusation. You know? It just, just took a little bit of away. So, life... Life can be like that, right? Have you had those moments where you're like, there's celebration, it should be this happy day, and there's just like a bit of something that brings it down? Maybe an accusation, maybe a, just, just something, something negative. We're going to read big chunks of scripture today, guys. These are familiar stories for a lot of us, but Jesus and his disciples, they're having these moments that should be celebrated, and yet... Yet there's something there. Something gets interrupted. We're going to be in Luke 19 and 22 today. And we're going to read bits of stories. We're going to hit some highlights. If you ever want to talk, there's just more. There's, there's so much more we could talk about in all of these. So let's talk sometime later. But right now, let's look at celebration interrupted by accusation. Verse 28 of Luke chapter 19. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Remember, we've been talking for weeks on this journey. And Jesus has finally arrived in Jerusalem. This is his destination point, and he knows what's going to happen here. But his disciples don't. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent out two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt. This also could be a donkey in, in other translations, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here, and if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went, found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought it to Jesus threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on him. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the ground. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, you might know this section of verses as Palm Sunday, because in other books, like the book of John, they say that people, as part of this parade, also picked up palm branches and, and waved them or laid them on the ground. And so, since Easter is two weeks from today, traditionally, churches read this scripture next week, but... We like to do things different around here. And the point I want us to look at here is each section of scripture. There's a celebration interrupted by accusation, right? So our celebration here is that Jesus is receiving honor. 
I mean, it's a kind of a humble celebration. It's not the biggest parade for a king that anyone's ever seen, but he takes it in. And if he knows, like, if you knew that you were going to be gone, pass away, leave a place, you take in those moments. Like, can you imagine not just being worshipped and loved and being with your friends, but like every sight and sound and smell maybe just felt different for him. Like, this might be the last time I do this. This might be the last time I talk to this person. He probably just took it in in a deeper sense of joy and love. But celebration is interrupted by the Pharisees. They say, just be quiet, okay? Like, stop. They got the fact that, you know what? Rome is still in charge here. And Rome doesn't usually like when non-Romans are treated like royalty. They kind of frown upon it. It's bringing unwanted attention to the Jewish people. Pharisees are like, can you? And Jesus is like, it's true worship. Not going to stop that. If I stop that, nature is going to cry out. God is going to be lifted up. And he knew the consequences. But it was all part that God was going to redeem this moment. So let's keep reading. That was our celebration number one. Celebration two is Jesus gets to the city. Verse 41 says, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city. Remember, this is our heart of our people. The Jewish people, this is their identity. This is the center of their worship. And Jesus weeps over it. He wept and said, if you, even you had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and circle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This celebration, what should happen in Jerusalem is that people gathered. This was, we're going to read that soon it's going to be the Passover. So people are coming for like one of the biggest gatherings of their year, of their identity as people of God. And coming to Jerusalem should be a celebration, yet it was breaking Jesus' heart. Because Jerusalem, that means city of peace, he's like, you, you guys aren't getting it. He's like, you were supposed to be peace to the world. And he's like, you're just holding it in and you're burying people off and you're being standoffish to the rest of the world. And he's like, you were supposed to be it. And you're not. And you've got this covenant with God and that's being broken right now. And he knew, he knew that Jerusalem, just years from now, the whole temple was going to be destroyed. This, this place that represented their faith, that was their connection to the Father, it was going to be no more. And Jesus just, he just wept over it. Like he's looking at it and he knows it's not going to look like this just years from now. But worse yet, he knows the heartache that's going to be for his brothers and sisters, the little kids running around. We've seen on the news what it looks like when when homes and buildings are destroyed in war. 
and your identity, your history, it's gone. Jesus could see that happening for his people, and it hurt. It hurt. He heads on into the city. Verse 45, when Jesus entered the temple courts, the very center of Jerusalem, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find a way to do it because all the people hung on his words. Another celebration. Why do you come to Jerusalem? Why do you come to the temple itself? It's to worship, to find closeness to a God you cannot see. This should be a celebration, even if it's a, it's a humble repentance, but it's a celebration. And Jesus just saw, he saw people robbing others monetarily like it says that in other in other versions we hear of this story where jesus like turned over tables and to drive out the money changers he used a whip it's like that's a it's a pretty dramatic critique here because they were taking worship and cheating people out of when it was time to come and and to purchase the animals that you would sacrifice as part of this worship process you know, there was, there was cheating going on. But here's what's interesting. It says it ends up being like the chief priests, the teachers of the law. They're somehow offended by all this. Which means that Jesus' words of, you have made it a den of robbers, this house of prayer. There's another level of critique here. The spiritual leaders themselves. Jesus keeps calling them out because they are robbing the people of spiritual growth and teaching. Because he he keeps calling them out and saying, you all are focused on yourself instead of leading God's people, instead of focusing on what God really wants. You've just turned it into something that it's not. So when he's calling out this moment, he's calling on the spiritual leaders too that they're not leading God's people as they were called. So, of course, we keep seeing it build up. Every example, this is why they want Jesus out of the picture. They actually want him killed. But he's so surrounded by the crowds, by love, by, su- by support, that they just they can't find their way in. How do they get him alone? Let's switch over to Luke 22, because this is connected. Now the festival of unleavened bread called Passover was approaching. And the chief priests, the teachers of the law, looking for a way to get rid of Jesus. But they were afraid of the people. Like those crowds, they were intimidating. Like they can't, he can't just like take a celebrity and just like go murder him. They got to be strategic. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. So the twelve core people Jesus had spent time with and mentored. Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple, and he discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted, agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over when no one was present. So how could 
They trapped Jesus alone. They had to find someone who knew his schedule, knew his habits, knew his comings and goings. So we've, we've watched Jesus spends time alone in prayer. He spends time with his key people away from the crowds. But only certain people kind of knew when that was going to happen. And Judas, one of these key followers, he would know that. Darkness surrounds us. But when we let it inside, that's when the harm happens. And Judas, he let the darkness in. How far in advance did Jesus know it was Judas? He still called him to be one of his key followers. He ate meals with him. He taught him. He mentored him. He showed him how to be a leader. How long did he know? He still loved Judas. Then the day came of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you to a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. We've seen pictures of how they would have reclined as they ate, right? And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks. And he said, take this, divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who was going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They begin to question among themselves which of them might do this. So our celebration here is Passover. It's an annual event. It is still celebrated every year. The Jewish people remember their ancestors. They remember how they were enslaved in Egypt and how God set them free, redeemed a whole people for himself. How God acted quite personally in the matter to free them. And they celebrate this. So the bread is unleavened. There's no yeast in it. That is because they were, they were hurrying to get out of there. When it was time to go, when it was time to be free, get away from Egypt, they left. Not time to let the bread rise. There's four cups of wine that are part of the Passover Seder. It has given various meanings over the years, but the rabbis say, when God said, I will bring you out, I will deliver you, I will redeem you, 
I will bring you to me. Those four phrases, they speak and they, and they drink. But Jesus, when he broke that bread, he said something new. It might have been a little surprising to his followers. First, he says, like, you know, this is the last time we're going to have this meal together. And that first, that's probably a pretty shocking statement to his followers. Surprising, confusing. And then he's eating, and then the last cup, and he's just like, this, this is me. I want you to remember me when you drink this and eat this. They still weren't really sure what that all exactly meant. But Jesus is the one that brings up the accusation here. He interrupts the celebration himself. And he's like, somebody's going to take part in this. They didn't need to take part in this. And so then they start to argue among themselves like, no, that, not us. Like, we're your, we're, your main, we're your main guys here, right? Did anyone guess? Did they point a finger at Judas? Do you think? Like, it's just interesting to think about this conversation. But this, that celebration, it just had that, had something different there, didn't it? Jesus went on because then they start to argue. They're like, oh, I'm not going to deny you. I'm not going to deny you. And somehow that argument turned into like, well, who's the greatest? As arguments do, as dinner table conversations do, we start to one-up each other. And that's what happens with these guys. They start to have a dispute. Which of them was the greatest? And Jesus said, the king of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. Those who exercise authority call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. The one who rules should be like the one who serves. Who was greater, the one at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus lived everything out that he preached. He said, you are those who've stood by me in my trials. I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred it on me. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's like, you, you're going to be, you are already a great part of the kingdom you cannot yet imagine. Like, don't argue now. Serve now. And then hang out with me later in eternity. Then Jesus looks at Simon. Peter. Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I've prayed, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and that when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Keynote, like when you've turned back, like something happens. But Peter replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison, death. You know, always Peter, right? He's jumping right in. He's just never going to waver. But Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you're going to deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out without purse or bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Remember when he sent them out on that mission to just like go tell all the villages about Jesus and about God's way? And he's like, don't take anything God's going to provide. And they're like, nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. He's just like, 
He's just trying to get them to think, like, be prepared now. It's not all literal metaphors, but he's just like, be prepared. Something's going to happen, and your hearts need to be ready. Jesus said, it's written, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. What is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. And the disciples are like, easily distracted by shiny objects, right? Look, here are two swords. And he's like, that's enough. (laughs) Okay, still the same celebration, still our Passover. This time the accusation has got, we got three little bullets here. First, the disciples are like, I'm the greatest. They argue among themselves. They still don't get it. They're accusing each other of being less than somebody else. Peter, always jumping to Jesus' defense. How painful was the accusation against what he was about to do? And it came true. And again, at the end, the disciples are like, great, let's go fight. This will be fun. (laughs) They're just on a different mindset, right? They're just in a different mindset. And Jesus is like, okay, guys. It's not going to be like any of them expected. So he's like, let's, let's go pray together. So before we get to the final accusation, the big one, Jesus spends time in prayer. And last week, I know we talked about how Jesus taught us to pray. And let's look. Let's look. How is he praying? How is he going to the Father during this time where he knows what's next? He knows what's coming. And he prays, he went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, and he knelt down, and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked. Get up and pray so you will not fall into temptation. So earlier we said, you know, if you were If you knew your time was over, that you were going to die soon, wouldn't you, like, appreciate every bit of life? But also, wouldn't you feel really anxious? Jesus wasn't immune to that just because he was God. He was a very real human being, and he knew what was coming. Very real pain. Not just physically, but mentally, spiritually. And he had never felt that torture before. That would be very, very scary. That would cause me anxiety to be like, what is that anticipation? Have you ever, like, knowing something's coming can feel worse or just as stressful as the actual pain? And Jesus knows that he's going to have an arrest coming. He's going to have pain coming. He's going to have shame. They're going to try to humiliate him. He's going to the city of peace, and they're going to do anything but bring him peace. So he desperately prayed, is there any other way? But I'll do it, God. He stepped into the pain to create peace for us. And let's see what interrupts this moment. 
While he was still speaking, a crowd came up. A man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest, the officers of the temple guard, the elders, this whole crowd had come for him. And he said, am I leading a rebellion that you have to come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, but you did not lay a hand on me. But in this hour, darkness reigns. So this time of prayer may not be as celebratory as the rest of our celebrations we've talked about so far. It was a time of anguish, as we just read. However, it was holy. And it really struck me as I was rereading that, like, like this is the time that Judas showed up and made his choice. Like, Jesus was at his most vulnerable. He was like, I need to spend time in prayer. He was, like, being so honest that he's like, crying and just just sweating drops of blood like that was a vulnerable moment and that that's when judah showed up just feels even more like betrayal on top of betrayal to take this holy moment and bring in bring in lies because that's the thing like to arrest jesus they had to have something they had to have a reason so they had to make stuff up to get him arrested like there was nothing we know he didn't sin we they were they had to like twist the truth to make an accusation that would put him under roman arrest and so here you know Ju- jesus knew it was coming but when what what did the other 11 think about like this is their friend this is one of us this is the guy we hung out with and they see him betray jesus like a betrayal and then violence. Hey, we saw that on last Sunday, but this is like 20 times that, right? Like a betrayal. And so then they're like, they probably wanted like a take a sword at Judas, couldn't reach him. Let's chop off the nearest guy's ear. I still, I could do like a whole conversation about the ear thing. Like, did it roll somewhere? Did they pick it up? Did they have to brush off dirt? Did he put on like a dirty, did he clean it off? Or did Jesus just, like, touch him and a new ear grew? Like, I don't know. You can imagine as you will. We don't know. But the point is, in this moment, I love how the theologian N.T. Wright just summed it up. It's so striking just to say this. Jesus accomplished his true mission by being falsely accused. That just feels... I don't know, that feels something to me. Like that, we think about Jesus' sacrifice as he got to the cross, and yet look, his sacrifice is happening right now. People are lying about him, and he just lets it happen. Because he knew, he knew that this accusation was going to take him to where he needed to be, to fulfill his mission. I don't know about you, but like, but like in our culture where people just easily accuse someone, and then what? Your whole reputation's gone, right? People will cancel you. And that's when it's true. Imagine when it's false. 
Imagine the people's stories that you've seen who've been sitting in jail for years because someone lied to get them there. Like, the being falsely accused and not saying anything about it, like, to me, like, he was willing to take the hit for his reputation. All these people are going to start talking about him now. I don't know, that feels like just as much of a sacrifice, like, culturally, communally, than than the physical pain that was to come. So Jesus knew in the dark of night, you know, he brings up that darkness. He knew that that was just a physical representation of what was going on inside of people. He knew that sin had been slowly invited in, invited to the table, so that the celebration had been corrupted for quite a while. And so he went into that darkness to redeem it. He went to die to redeem even those who were trapping him. So it's a lot we just went through. A lot of celebrations, a lot of heavy things. And so we look at these verses and every week we ask ourselves, what's that mean to us? How do we live as the redeemed people of Jesus in light of how he lived? It just looks like we need to prepare. We need to prepare for celebration, and we need to prepare for accusation. Jesus made plans for both. Do you see? He's the one who'd already planned the celebrations. When it was time for him to enter triumphantly and have a parade, he's like, I got a guy. I got a donkey guy. Go see my guy, all right? When it was time to celebrate Passover, this beautiful celebration, this great meal, he's like, I know a person. They got a house. They got a room. I've already worked it out. He'd made the plans. We make plans for fun things, don't we? We plan for vacations. We make surprise parties for people. You guys, there's like a lot of planning that happens every week for this worship celebration at Echo every Sunday. There's plans. So let's plan for spiritual celebration, right? Let's get our hearts ready because God is shaping us all the time. Look around at all these good things in your life. Have eyes to see and ears to hear that God is moving and he's shaping you. Put yourselves in a position to pay attention. The spirit is working. Prepare for that celebration to come. Marvel at God's wonder. Consider the small moments and see the steps of healing God is bringing to you. Jesus, he was also prepared for accusation. I see him responding three different ways. Did you see the first time on Palm Sunday, Jesus responded, the Pharisees were accusing him, saying, be quiet. And he just like, here's the simple truth. It's not going to stop. And he moved on with confidence, right? Number two, when people were mocking God's temple and they knew better, he was like, I'm going to call you out. You shouldn't be doing this. You know better. And third, the third accusation, it was in the garden. And he just let it happen, right? He absorbed it because he knew his mission was to go to the cross. He knew the redemption that could work through that. God would redeem that accusation. So we, we got to know, we're living as followers of Jesus. 
People might accuse us of some things. That does not... I say this very honestly. That, like, that, may, that keeps me up at night. I don't, I don't want anybody to think badly of me, but just by believing, actually believing in Jesus and trying to live it out, it, people aren't always going to understand. And so we don't have to dwell on it and be constantly under anxiety over that, but just know we got three options. We can respond simply with truth, And move confidently knowing that some people aren't going to get it. We may have to call out people who know better at times, right? And then third, there might be a time we got to take the temporary hit. I don't like that one. We got to absorb the accusation sometimes when we know it's going to protect others or be the calling that we have to do. And it's hard to know. There's three different options right there. And we not always get it right, but I think if we ask and then we pay attention, that God will answer and let us know. Like, what is the way to honor you in this moment? Which response honors you, glorifies you, and fulfills your kingdom? I think he'll, I think he'll let us know. I really do. You know, Darkness still exists today. We feel it. We feel the effects of it, don't we? But there's always been a plan. The plan has already happened. We already know the result. The ultimate celebration and accusation, it was simultaneously happening at the cross. Jesus was falsely accused on earth so he could redeem sin and darkness, redeem us from it, and offer us an eternal celebration. So each week, each week, we get to have a meal together as a family. Just like at Passover, we do it every week because we don't want to forget. We have the short attention spans and we want to remember. Just as Jesus ate with his disciples, we can pick up a piece of bread. We can pick up a drink and we can say, we can remember that Jesus, like, this was the accusation I took on for you. But I did it so we can celebrate life together. Jesus defeated darkness. He defeated death itself when he rose again. And that gives us hope. It gives us hope. So we eat a meal and we were humbled by it. And we're also celebrating that it can bring us hope. So we're going to end today with a time of communion. And we're going to have some people serving for us. And when you are ready, just come down and and take a bit of bread, take a cup of juice, and, and remember, dwell on the words of Jesus today. Think about the accusation and the celebration. Will you pray with me? God, your plans are mysterious. They're interesting. There's a lot of stops and starts and interruptions that happened in your life, in your celebrations. Thank you for what we can learn from the highs and the lows, from the light and the darkness. And just, we just ask for your wisdom, God, because it's hard. Brings us anxiety. Brings us hope. But sometimes we don't know how to respond. Give us 
Give us eyes to see and ears to hear so we know where you're moving and we can celebrate the ways you're moving in our lives. Give us the strength and the wisdom to respond when the accusations come. Thank you, Jesus, for redeeming us. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.